Good morning, church. Well, here we are, wrapping up our BC 24 series. This, this series over the last several weeks has introduced us to some of the fundamentals of biblical community. As a reminder, you know, we've been camped out in Acts 2.42 for, well, since the beginning of January, really. And from that one verse, we, we've seen some essential elements that mark true biblical community. Elements like commitment. A focus on God's Word, koinonia fellowship, and, and then last week we dug into how and why we worship together as a community of believers. Well, today's message will round out our in-depth study of Acts 2.42, and, and so let's go ahead and read that verse together. We'll put it on screen for you. Would you read that with me this morning? It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And so, as you know, it's the prayers that we'll focus on today. The early church was absolutely committed, devoted to prayer, and, and that shows up throughout the book of Acts. Now, if you've been worshiping with us for a while here at First Hearst, well, then you'll remember how over more than a, the course of more than a year's time, we spent 40-plus Sundays plowing through uh, the book of Acts from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 28. And today, as we consider how the early church was devoted to prayer, we're going to look back at some of those events that we studied along the way in that long series in Acts. We're going to re reference several times when we see the early believers of Acts praying. And we'll be able to learn some key truths about how prayer plays a central role in the authentic biblical community. So in your ministry guide, you'll notice that the, ser the, the title for the message this morning is simply The Prayers, because that's what we find in Acts 2.42. But really, perhaps it should be The Prayers of Acts, because we're going to find those times in Acts when the believers were praying. In fact, as we take this 30,000-foot view of those times when uh, God's people prayed in the book of Acts, there are five relevant purposes of prayer that will kind of rise to the surface. And so let's go ahead and dig into that. The first purpose of prayer that we learn about from Acts this morning is that prayer is a spiritual discipline a spiritual discipline. I mean, the, the believers in Acts that we find praying, they, they prayed with regularity. They prayed with intentionality. They, they, it was a spiritual habit for them. We see this in, for instance, chapter 3, verse number 1, where Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. It says, like, like there was a dedicated time in their schedule that they were going to pray. It was a regular part of their daily lives where they set aside time to pray. Chapter 9, verse 11, we find there were Saul. Now, chapter 9 is where Saul of Tarsus was converted to faith in Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, you remember. And by verse 11, he's already praying. I mean, this guy, uh, immediately he begins to pray because prayer is just a natural step of growth for a believer. You know, I like to watch um, like nature documentaries, you know, about wildlife and stuff, uh, National Geographic type stuff. And, and I'm always amazed to see like a deer or antelope or any of those kind of creatures. I really like it when the lions come and eat them. All right. That, that's what I like to watch. All right. I, I know that's weird, but anyway, but I'm always amazed that within sometimes minutes of being born, these newborn fawns are up on their feet and they're walking about ready to run. It's just incredible to me. But you know what? Prayer should be that natural 
and quick for us, for a new follower of Jesus. It's just what we do. Prayer is essential to our uh, spiritual lives. And in fact, like we see with Saul, this newborn believer, a growing disciple is one who is praying. Chapter number 10, we see another example where Cornelius, remember he was the the Gentile uh, centurion in Caesarea, and it says there in chapter 10 that he prayed continually to God. I mean, it wasn't just at a set time of day, but at all times of day. Cornelius was praying to the Lord. He was obeying the command of God that hadn't even been written down yet in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 that says, pray without ceasing. And so in Acts, we find examples where believers, they were praying at the sixth hour, at the ninth hour, in the morning, and in the afternoon, at the hour of prayer, at midnight. They prayed at all hours of the day. These new believers, they just took to praying without ceasing like a fawn takes to walking and running. Chapter 10 again, Cornelius is in Caesarea praying, and at the same time, Peter is in Jerusalem, and he goes up on the housetop to pray. He spent time alone with the Lord. He got away from everyone else. He was doing what Jesus modeled because Jesus often would get alone. He would get away from uh, his disciples and the crowds, and he would spend time alone with the Father. Not only is it what Jesus modeled, it's also what Jesus taught. In Matthew chapter 6, as part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, and when you pray, You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, Jesus said, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus was teaching us about this discipline of prayer, that, uh, uh, to get alone with God in the intimacy of prayer as a holy habit. And now, just about this time, I just want you to know, parents of preschoolers, I hear you, all right? Because I know you're like, are you kidding me? Make time to get alone to pray? I'm trying to find time to go to the bathroom by myself. How am I supposed to? I get it. It's hard to have any alone time. And I don't know when or how you work that in your schedule. What I know is that it's critical that you do. Prayer is essential for the believer. It's not optional and certainly not a last resort. And while we're talking about prayer as a spiritual discipline, here's another tip on prayer. As author Tim Barrett shares, if contemporary Christians are going to plug in into God through prayer, they're going to have to intentionally unplug from their electronic devices. That is a stealer, a theft of our attention that keeps us from prayer. I know for most all of us, we need to follow this advice to turn off the screens and instead spend some time alone with the Savior. As individual members of this biblical community of believers, let prayer be for each of us a spiritual habit just something that we do with regularity and intentionality. Prayer should be as much an essential in our lives as eating lunch and drinking water throughout the day. It's a spiritual discipline that we each need to develop. All right, a second purpose of prayer then that we find in Acts, it was, okay, it's this individual thing that we need to be praying as a habit, as a spiritual discipline, but it's also often a communal activity. It's something that the early believers did together as well. We see that in chapter 1, in fact, where the early believers devoted themselves, notice that that's plural, they devoted themselves to prayer as a biblical community. 
In fact, it says in that verse that they were praying with one accord. And he wasn't talking about a Honda vehicle there, right? He was saying that they were united. They were agreeing together in prayer. They were praying for the same longings of their hearts that that they would see the gospel extend and transform their world. And so these believers came together as a body of believers to pray. We see again in chapter number 12 where the church came together and prayed earnestly for Peter's release from prison. A little little context to remember on this. Herod had killed, he he had arrested and killed the apostle James. Well, he had arrested Peter as well and had him marked for death. But the church gathered and they're praying for Peter. And again, they were agreeing in their requests and what they were bringing before the Lord. And it was a time that brought them together and it bound them together as a community of faith because there is great power when God's people are united in prayer. That's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 18. He said, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. We come back to Acts and we find other examples of believers praying together, like in chapter 20, where Paul prayed together with the Ephesian elders. So this was outside of a church setting, and maybe we should say especially outside of church. It was for Paul, and it should be for us, a very normal thing for believers to pray together, like Paul did here with the Ephesian elders. We we shouldn't think that it's something that's weird or uncomfortable or awkward to pray together with other believers. It's something that should help bind our hearts together. We see another example in chapter 21 of Acts. Paul was departing from the believers entire And he was on his way to Jerusalem. And they were like, Paul, if you go, you're going to be arrested and mistreated. You you remember that? And and before he left, because they couldn't change his mind, it says they knelt together on the beach. On the beach. And they prayed together as believers. It was a communal activity. And something that's just normal for believers who are in biblical community. We come then to a third purpose of prayer in the book of Acts. And Honestly, this is probably the first thing that most of us think of when we consider prayer, and that is asking for needs. Asking God to meet needs. I mean, that's a big part of what we do when we pray. We bring our petitions before the Lord. We ask him to intervene and to provide and heal and encourage and meet needs. And guys, we don't have to feel bad about that about asking God for such needs in our lives and in the lives of others. In fact, James chapter 4, verse 2 tells us that we do not have because we do not ask. That is that God wants us to bring our needs to him in prayer. We learn also in Scripture that God hears and answers prayer. Jesus spoke about that as well in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. He said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. And now Jesus is going to illustrate his point here. He said, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Well, nobody's going to do that. 
Jesus said, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus is inviting us to bring our needs, to ask him to meet those needs, that we can pray for specific things and trust God to provide according to his will. Like at the conclusion of of our time this morning, we're going to invite you, church, to come forward and pick up a prayer bracelet for one of our students and leaders and D-Now this next weekend, and we're going to ask you to pray specifically over these and ask God to, to, to meet uh, with these students and to give strength to these leaders and to bless them in the week ahead. And it's something that we want to invite you to not just come and pick up a bracelet so that you have one, but come and stop, kneel here at the altar, pray over that bracelet, pray over that student that leader represented on that bracelet. Ask God for specific things. Bring those needs to him, trusting him to provide. Now, let me give you just a simple example and uh, tell you about one of the many times where the Lord just graciously chose to answer my prayer and give me what I asked for. Like a, lo- like a lot of you did growing up, I, uh, my first year at Bell High School, I walked to school most of the time. Oh, that's where you feel bad for me, right? right? Oh, poor Jason, right? I mean, that, that, that morning walk from Storm Drive in Bedford to, to Bell High School was 1.9 miles. And it took me uh, probably about 45 minutes to make that walk because I'm a really slow walker, all right? I, I just am. Well, I can distinctly remember this one particular spring morning there, and this was before there was like hour by hour weather forecasts, you know, in your pocket. We didn't have that, but I knew it was about to rain. Like, like this morning, you knew it was about to rain, right? And you didn't have to be a meteorologist to figure it out. As, as we often see here in the North Texas springtime, this massive storm was rolling in that morning. And it was one of those days where the sky was just a dark, heavy, you know, kind of charcoal gray. You know what I'm talking about? a lot like this morning, Uh, thunder was rumbling and uh, the whole way that I'm walking to school and I just knew, oh, I knew it, good grief. I'm going to be absolutely drenched, my textbooks and homework and me, I'm just going to be soaked. It's going to be a miserable, uncomfortable day. And so I prayed. And I remember I was walking past Spring Creek Barbecue on the way up the access road toward Bell High School and I just said, God, would you please let the rain hold off till I get to school? I don't want to get wet today. And I mean, just a selfish prayer that I prayed and um, it had no eternal significance. This is not going to rock the kingdom of God, you know. Um, But I just asked God for this personal blessing. And I'm going to tell you, that prayer did not stop the dark clouds from overtaking the skies. The thunder and lightning intensified. And I, the whole way that I'm walking towards school, and I was walking a little faster than normal that morning. And um, I cannot tell you that my faith was real strong. Because all the signs were telling me, you're about to be swimming <laughs> your way to school, right? But for those 45 minutes, not a drop fell from the sky. I mean... It was about as black as night by the time I got to school, but, but no rain. I made it to school. I crossed over Brown Trail. I scurried across the teacher parking lot that's still there today. And guys, I am not kidding you. I took one step into the main hall and turned around to look behind me and the bottom fell out, just sheets of rain coming down. And I watched as all these other students ran across the parking lot. And I, I guess they didn't pray that morning. I don't know. You know? <laughs> but, but they just got drenched. And um, I thank the Lord for his gracious gift to me. You see, he didn't have to do that. God, in fact, you know, doesn't give us everything we ask for. But he is the prayer answering God. 
And I know you could tell your own stories of times when God has graciously and faithfully answered your prayers. And Well, we see the early believers in Acts praying and asking God for specific things. Like in chapter 7, where Stephen, who was, while he was being stoned to death, he's praying and asking God not to hold this sin against his oppressors, those that are throwing the stones at him. Even in the face of mistreatment and oppression, he asked that God would forgive them. He was living out another thing that Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 5 as part of the Sermon on the Mount, where he said, you've heard that it was said, you, you shall love your neighbors and hate your enemy. Jesus said, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Stephen did exactly that. That's a little different than asking God to keep me dry, you know, on the way to school. A little more intense there. Chapter number eight, Peter and John prayed for, for the Samaritan believers to receive the Holy Spirit because they were focused on spiritual needs, not just physical needs. And in fact, the Lord answered that prayer as well. We come again to chapter 12 of Acts. Again, remember that's where Peter was in prison and, and the church had gathered to pray for him. And even as they're praying for his release, the Lord supernaturally delivered him. Remember, Peter showed up at the house and is knocking at the gate. And the servant girl was like, hey, Peter's out front. And they're like, no, he's not. We're praying for him to get out of jail. Stop it. And there they were gathered to pray, not for their own needs, but for the needs of Peter, that God would deliver him and sustain his life so that he could go on in, in ministry for the Lord. They were asking for God, for God for this, and it was like Isaiah 65, 24, come to life. This verse that says, God said, before they call, I will answer. While they're yet speaking, I will hear. That's what he did in Acts 12 when the people of God were asking for specific things. He miraculously delivered Peter. Chapter 28 of Acts is another example. Paul was shipwrecked on the island of Malta, if you recall, and he prayed for the healing of a man of the island there. And in that case, God was pleased to grant this request. He healed him. Now, many of our prayer requests tend to center around physical health and medical needs, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, James 5.15 tells us the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. But as I'm sure you know from personal experience, not all of our prayers are answered as we want. But church, the goodness of God is not dictated by whether or not he gives us everything that we ask for. Man, if I'd arrived soaking wet that uh, stormy spring morning in 1990, God would still be good. Amen? Sometimes we don't receive what we ask for. And James tells us that sometimes that's because we ask with the wrong motives. We're asking just for our personal pleasures rather than for God's glory. James chapter 4 speaks of that. Sometimes God doesn't provide as we hope um, because what we're asking just does not align with the will of God. Consider this, for instance. I have every reason to think that the church in chapter 12 was praying for James just as they were praying for Peter. James was killed, martyred. Peter was supernaturally released from prison. And I can't explain why. God would grant one of his apostles to be released and the other he allowed to perish. When our prayers aren't answered as we hope, like those prayers for James weren't answered as the church hoped, we have to recognize the sovereignty and grace of God even in those circumstances, even when we don't understand it. 
So a big part of our prayer life is asking God to supply needs. There's still more to prayer's purposes. There are two more, in fact. The next one is hearing from God. This is part of prayer, hearing from him. It's more than just us talking to God, but prayer is a marvelous opportunity to hear from the Lord. In fact, some of my most powerful, meaningful times of prayer have been when I hardly spoke a word, (laughs) but rather I just knelt in silence before the Lord because to, to hear from him, like, like, God, you know my needs. Now, what am I to do? Seeking the Lord's direction. We find this also exemplified in Acts. Chapter number one tells us that the early church prayed and they asked the Lord to reveal to, to them who it was that should take Judas Iscariot's place among the apostles. And the Lord made his will known and Matthias was selected. Chapter 13, as the church at Antioch was worshiping, and that included prayer, while they're having this worship service, the Holy Spirit revealed to them and said, separate for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work that I've called them to do, that that they would go out on this first great missionary journey to carry the gospel to Gentile lands. Because you see, prayer helps us to discern the Lord's will. It's not just asking and receiving, but he leads us in our times of prayer. Chapter 22 is another example. Paul recounted there how he had been intentionally praying when he heard from the Lord, this calling that his life would be about uh, um, uh, serving as a missionary among the Gentiles. And so in all these examples that we see from Acts, God spoke to his people, he directed them, and he led them in the way they should go, and he chose to do it in their times of prayer. It may be appropriate at this point to share this quote from Dr. John R. Rice, where he said, all my failures have been prayer failures. How true is that? Not only have I failed when I failed to pray for something, but I've failed when I failed to listen in prayer, to hear from God, to discern his will and his direction. Now, I don't know what decisions you're facing this week, what what needs you have to discern the will of God and, and his direction for you, but I know from my own experience, and more importantly, I know from God's holy word, that if you'll seek the Lord in prayer and be still before him, the Spirit of God will direct you. Okay, one other purpose of prayer that we see in Acts this morning, and that is preparation for ministry. In fact, we find throughout the book of Acts that prayer precedes effective ministry. You just may want to write that down. Prayer precedes effective ministry. I mean, one thing that you can't help but take away from a serious study of Acts is that the early church accomplished some far-reaching, incredible, effective ministry in the name of Christ, but they could not have done it without prayer. John Bunyan, in fact, said, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. He was saying that prayer precedes effective ministry. We see this in Acts chapter number four, where the early church, remember, they they were threatened and told by the authorities, you can't speak about Jesus anymore. And they prayed for boldness to minister the gospel. They came together and lifted their voices and trusted in the sovereign God. And in the face of these threats, they said, God, would you give us boldness to continue to proclaim the gospel? And verse 31 of that chapter tells us that God heard and answered their prayer and the ministry just exploded. 
In chapter 6, the apostles recognized that they had to prioritize how they would invest their limited time and energy. And so in chapter 6, verse 4, they said, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word in that order. Prayer precedes the ministry of the word. Chapter 9, when Peter went in to raise Dorcas from the dead, first he knelt and prayed. He showed his humility before the Lord, this great apostle that remained utterly dependent upon God because he knew that prayer is the power source of ministry. Chapter 12, yet again, the church prayed and it led to this impossible deliverance of Peter where doors were literally open, the prison doors were open for Peter, but not only that, figuratively we can say that doors were open because of their prayer. Doors were open for Peter to continue on ministering the gospel because prayer precedes effective ministry. Chapter 16, Paul and Silas went to a prayer meeting at the place of prayer, and there Lydia's heart was open to receive the gospel. Prayers were answered for the gospel to reach Philippi. It's, it's a reminder for us that we need to pray for our gospel conversations, that the Lord would prepare hearts to receive the gospel because prayer precedes effective ministry. Later in chapter 16, Paul and Silas were themselves in prison. And at the midnight hour, it says that they're, they're singing and praising the Lord and they're praying for deliverance. And the Lord provided miraculous deliverance for them so that the ministry could increase. Now, I want you to see how these dots connect. Remember chapter 7? We said Stephen was praying for those that were casting stones at him, right? He was praying that the Lord would not hold that sin against them. Among those was Paul, who was consenting unto Stephen's death, the Scripture says. Okay, so Stephen prays for Paul, and, and then two chapters later, we find that Paul came to faith in Jesus Christ. And he, man, this incredible ministry comes out of that. And now we find Paul in Philippi in chapter 16. He's praying there in the prison. And I think he's praying also for this Philippian jailer among many others. And the gospel would invade Philippi. And in that very same chapter, what happens? The Philippian jailer comes to faith in Christ. And so Stephen prays for Paul. He gets saved. Paul prays for this Philippian jailer. He gets saved because the gospel precedes effective ministry. It opens doors. Uh, excuse me, prayer is what I meant to say. Precedes effective ministry. And it opens doors and makes a way for the gospel to invade people's hearts and lives. It prepares their hearts to hear and understand that something is broken in this world and in their own heart. Prayer helps prepare them to trust in Jesus, the righteous Savior, the one who died to atone for their sin. Prayer prepares our hearts to be the one to share the gospel as it prepares the lost heart to receive it. I'm going to say one time more, prayer precedes effective ministry. Now, switching gears for just a moment in conclusion to our entire series here, you may have heard that there's, there's, there's some kind of big game happening this afternoon. Anybody know what's going on? Yeah, Super Bowl, right? Big, big deal. And, you know, for, um, for many of the coaches and players involved, this game will be the pinnacle of their entire athletic career. And so as they've been preparing over the last couple of weeks, can you guess what these elite teams of champions have done in their times of practice? I mean, you can read all about it. There's mountains of uh, articles written about how they're practicing. And they've gone back to the fundamentals of the game. Both the Chiefs and the 49ers 
The coaches have said over and over things like, uh, we're going to stick with our routine. We're going to go back to what's worked for us all year long. Those coaches have had their elite, seasoned, professional players practicing blocking and tackling and passing and receiving the fundamentals of the game because successful coaches and players know that to be successful, they have to continue to master the basic essential elements of the game. And you know, you just may have noticed that these key elements of biblical community we've been talking about for the last six weeks from Acts 2.42, they are the fundamentals of a life of faith commitment, the Word of God, fellowship, worship, prayer. I mean, if you've ever walked with a new believer to disciple them in the faith, these are some of the first things that you begin talking about. They're the fundamentals, the blocking and tackling, if you will, of uh, living this Christian life. And what I want you to see is that these discipleship core elements are likewise the core elements of biblical community. In other words, Biblical community becomes a breeding ground for discipleship, for making disciples. When we are living in authentic biblical community, according to God's word, we'll be making disciples. And so as disciples of Jesus, you and I must be focused on these fundamentals, commitment and the word of God and fellowship and worship and prayer as we are actively engaged as part of biblical community here at First Hurst. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you this morning for your word and thank you for the gospel that's transformed our hearts and thank you for allowing us to live this life of faith. God, thank you for prayer. It's an incredible, powerful opportunity that you have invited us to partake in and in fact commanded us to participate in. In prayer as we have the opportunity to bring our needs before you and God, you hear and answer according to your will. And, and it's in prayer, we, we have the opportunity to hear from you as you give direction and guidance. It's in prayer, we can just pour ourselves out before you. Sometimes in desperation, in worship, in adoration of you. God, it's just so incredible that you would allow us this privilege of prayer. And so we say thank you. And it may be this morning that the way you choose to work in each of our hearts and lives this morning is just to call us to be more about prayer as a spiritual discipline in our lives, to be better prayers. As you continue to grow us up in this life of faith, God, may prayer, may we recognize the essential power of prayer in doing the work of ministry. We pray that you'd be pleased as we respond in faith this morning to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.